You're listening to a message from the church at Rutledge. For more information about TCAR, please visit thechurchatrutledge.org. Well, welcome and good morning. I'm Marty, pastor here at the church at Rutledge, and I'm glad to see familiar faces, some new faces, and so welcome. And uh, I, I got to do a transparent thing up front here because I'm a little uh, rattled this morning. Um, you, you guys who know me well know how emotional I am anyway. And uh, so just in case I have some sporadic breakdown moments up here this morning, I just want you to know why. Uh, but I got, a, I got a call last night and... Um, it was the chief of police down in Bean Station, and, and uh, there had been a car wreck over in Sneedville. And um, so um, he is not only chief of police, but he's also on the rescue squad over in Sneedville. He's chief of police here in Be- down in Bean Station. So uh, he goes to this accident, and at the accident he goes to, He's thinking his 20-something-year-old daughter is at home, but he pulls her out. (laughs) Out of the back seat. The three others in the car were killed instantly when the car wrecked. And uh, they're at Holston Hospital today having to decide should they take her off life support. So I basically drove from Holston Hospital to here this morning um, and have not been to sleep tonight. So part of this mess is just not being in bed last night, and part of it's just all of that going on. But uh, she was living at home with him, and she has three young children that are like four, five, six years old. And... uh, so he thought he got a call from her ten thirty. She was at home, and, and then she left with a friend after that. And he thought she was at home, and ended up she was in the car. And uh, so just pray for him and that family and the decision they're having to make. She's got a lot of brain swelling that is not neurosurgeons have worked on her a little bit, but not able to control it. She had too much loss of oxygen to certain parts of her brain which are not repairable, and so they're, even if she lived, she really wouldn't function. And so he's having to make a decision on his daughter. Um, so we walked through a lot of that last night, and that'll continue through this afternoon. So if you just remember them. So that's part of my mess. Um, so if we, um, I would pray, but... I'm probably going to have a hard time doing it. Tony, would you pray? Dear God, we thank you that you are in control of everything. God, we know that nothing happens without you allowing it. And we pray this morning that you would just work in this situation. We pray that you would just comfort that family. God, we pray that the Holy Spirit would work in people's lives in only in only a way that He can. And God, we come to you this morning just asking that you would just give Marty strength and God just help him to be able to share with us what we need to hear. And God, we know that Everything works together for for our good, for those that love you. God, help us to love you this morning and just have your way in our hearts and lives. We give you praise for your son and for what he did for us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Tony. And once I get in the message, I should be okay. All right, but I just had to get that out a little bit. Also, we're having Lord's Supper service here tonight at 6.30, okay? 
So please come for that this evening. Uh, But I'm glad you're here with us. Sorry for the not-so-normal intro. Um, But Chad's just had a hard time. He lost his mom last year. His nephew, that was 16, had a wreck last year. was one of twins. Um, And so he's just, he's had a hard time. Took on six grandkids this year into his home. Uh, so just remember him. Um, but we've started our journey into Christmas, and we started last week. If you missed last week, we had a, a basically a, a seminary class last week on the Trinity and talked about how God is uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, but one God in one. And so hopefully I either helped you with something in understanding of that, or maybe I thoroughly confused you enough and challenged you enough that you've gone home and started reading it for yourself and trying to discover more out of that. But it's, we've started this series trying to clarify more about who Jesus is. If Jesus is the reason for the season, you know, as you typically hear the Christians say, then exactly who are we talking about? Because, as you know, there's so many different beliefs in the world that you can say, I believe in God, and somebody else may say, I believe in God, but you may not be talking about exactly the same person. And so even Jesus sometimes uh, is, is um, talked about in different ways that it, you may not be really talking about the same person. Is it the, is it the Jesus of the Bible or the Jesus of a parsed Bible somebody's put together or... Uh, a Jesus of a Bible plus other scriptures that people have come up with on their own that describe who Jesus is, and they have their own thoughts about that. He's a good teacher. You know, he was just a prophet. You know, whatever. He wasn't God. He was just a man, and we talked about that last week, and we'll look at that a little more today. But are we talking about the same person? Who exactly are we talking about, and what are some of the things that really set apart who we're talking about? And so, you know, in light of... Uh, of Christmas, and I think we lose sight of who we're talking about in the midst of this sea of Christmas happenings and shopping and dinners and relatives and the the rest of the chaos we put our lives into during Christmas, that we sometimes lose focus on what really we should be thinking about. And so I hope this series helps you focus on Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, and why it's worth celebrating Him all the time not just this time of year when we celebrate the birth of our Savior, um, even though we don't really know what day he was born on. uh, It's just a time where we focus on that. And last week, we looked back at Jesus, who he is for me, even went back to eternity past of him being there in the very beginning and creation that he always has been. He is God. And so... He, he is not a created being. He's part of the triune God. And so he has existed as such from eternity past. And now today I want to look more further at the far end for us of more of eternity future and who Jesus is for us eternally and some of those aspects of that. And then next week David's going to, our youth pastor David, uh, wherever he's running around, right there he is, okay, he's going to... Uh, talk about the incarnation, possibly. We're going to talk a little more about some of those things. He's like, I'm hoping so, because I've already got some of that stuff already mapped out, but um, we'll get into that next week. And so uh, it seems like, especially at Christmas, though, we we seem to focus more on uh, the loving, kind, meek little baby in a manger, and he's so sweet, and forget that that child... In that manger, that that baby in swaddling cloths is not just our our Savior, but He is Warrior King. I mean, He is, as we'll talk about today, He's Judge of of everyone. I mean, He He's He's not just this little child, but it, it but He's Warrior King who will one day judge judge us all. That sounds like a good Christmas sermon, right? Yeah. Okay, but he is still loving and kind, and what this means for those who are his is actually wonderful when you talk about judgment. So, um, 
starting with this foundation, you just understand, so you understand where we're going, is that whole foundation of sin and the world. Because of sin, the world is broken. It's cursed. It's not like God designed it or wanted it to be. And so uh, there's violence, there's abuse, there's poverty, there's sickness, there's death, uh, famine, war, plague, injustice, tyranny, evil. Uh, accidents happen like last night. And, and despite many years and many dollars and many wars and many leaders and many efforts to try to fix things, the world is still not the place that any of us wishes it was. And that being said, the hope for transformation for our world doesn't come from us. Okay? It's not in something that we can really fix. Okay? We're not going to fix everything. In fact, we're part of the problem because of our sin nature, because of sin. And sometimes when we make make an effort to change the world for good... We end up doing bad, even if we didn't mean to, and we end up contributing to problems instead of maybe be helping more and not really bringing solutions. And our, our hope is not in ourselves, the hope for change. It's not in our nation, not in our culture, not in our people. Uh, ultimately, our hope has to be in God, and that God is willing and able to change our world and even do that through us and use us. Okay, but he is willing and able to change the world and to usher in the world that you and I deep down long for, one that has love and peace and justice, mercy, unity, compassion, kindness, health, all those things. And it's what Jesus came to earth for Christmas is he came to earth to, to continue this process of setting things right as he planned to do. To set things right again. Now, what he does in the paragraph we're going to read here in just a moment, uh, Jesus himself turns toward the future and talks about um, things that are common to every single person. And those three things are basically this, that everyone dies, everyone's judged, and everybody gets resurrected. Okay? Those three things are going to happen. And that's what Jesus says. Now, I want you to think about this. Every single person who has ever been born is going to physically die once, okay? But in the end, everyone will live forever, okay? And, and Christians and people in other Bible go, yeah, that makes sense. And everybody else is like, what? Okay. Every single person will exist for eternity in the sense that they continue consciously to live forever. When we die, our body goes into the ground, but our soul, if we're we're Christians, goes to be with the Lord. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, right? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And what will happen is that there will be uh, a day for Christians and non-Christians when our soul reunites with our body. So when you're, you die, if you're a Christian, your soul goes to be with the Lord. If you're a non-Christian, your soul goes to a place of punishment and justice and holding. And one day, Christians and non-Christians alike, their souls will re-enter their bodies and will resurrect just like Jesus did. He rose from death, setting the pattern for our resurrection, and we'll all face a judgment, but it's kind of two different kinds depending on where you stand. So the issue isn't, the big issue isn't, will I live forever, okay? The issue is, where will I live forever? How will I spend eternity? What, 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 and all that is determined by what you do with Jesus and who you think he is, and that's what determines that. Looks, let's look at our main text today. It's out of John 5. We're going to look at verses 24 through 29, then we're going to jump into Revelation. All great Christmas stuff, right? Revelations. You, when you think Christmas, you go, oh, Revelation, yeah. Okay? So, uh, but that's where we're going. Okay? To understand Jesus, you have to understand all of Scripture. It's all about Him from beginning to end. So, all of it tells His story. 
John 5, 24 through 29, starts in verse 24. We're actually going to back up to 22 at one point, but I'm going to start at 24 right now. I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those will, who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. That's a resurrection to life, as we'll refer to it. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. It's a resurrection to condemnation, okay? Now, in the verses, you'll notice that Jesus talks about those two possibilities, ultimately. This resurrection to life is one place, one avenue, and the resurrection to condemnation, and he's basically referring to heaven and hell, okay? And we don't need the Bible to tell us that everyone dies. That part we get, I hope you understand that. We can look around and we can figure that out, that it's not getting better, okay? As we get older, it's, we're not getting healthier. Things aren't, we're getting closer to home, hopefully, if we're his. I love this song right now that's David Crowder that's out um, about hope. What is it? I've lost my brain this morning. Um, come on, Tyler, help me out. Anyway, it's off Prodigal album, the new one, All My Hope is the name of the song. Hopefully, if you haven't heard it, go listen to it. Um, but one of the statements he makes in the song that I love, and every time I says it, I'm like, yes, is he makes this statement, that, thank God all my yesterdays are gone. You know, because to me, and I know part of that is all those mistakes I made, I'm glad they're gone and, and they're paid for. But another part of that is the more yesterdays that are gone, the closer I am to home, and I'm good with that. Okay? And, and so I love that line in that song. Um, but just notice in, in our text in verse 25, the word dead it says, Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. The word dead there is this word necros, which we get the term necrosis, okay, which is blood-starved tissue and cells and organs that get damaged because of that. There's a necrotic tissue that develops, okay? All the nurses in here are going, that's right, okay? Thank you. Um, but the death of tissue, basically, it speaks of physical death. So it's telling you there that what the use of that word, what's important there to understand is it's talking about physical death, okay? And it speaks of physical death. In verse 28, notice the word graves. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice, okay? And that word is a very specific word for a grave, like a tomb, or a sepulcher where people are buried, um, we would say today a cemetery, rich, young, poor, old, male, female, uh, obscure, famous, everybody dies. The only exception to that is if you believe in the rapture, okay, and that's, this gets, oh my gosh, everybody gets tense, okay, because um, we get into that, but if you believe in the rapture, then um, the only exception to everyone dying is, of course, when those who are raptured are alive and, and remain or caught up and instantly transformed. Other than that, everyone dies, okay? But we also know something about life and death from a, from a biblical perspective. When the Bible uses those terms, when it talks about life and death, of course, it doesn't always exactly mean physical life and death, okay? It can mean spiritual life, spiritual death, spiritual birth, physical death, physical life. It, these things get intermeshed together uh, as you read it, and it's knowing those words, what they're using and what they're referring to from like original language stuff, but also context of what it's talking about can tell you that as well. Like in verse 24, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe, okay, that can only be a person who's alive, only alive people can believe, in God who sent me have, present tense, eternal life. And I love the fact that that's present tense, okay? Because it means as I believe today, you know, the moment I become a born-again Christian, 
eternal life starts that moment. It's not when I die, okay? I get eternal life now, and this is just part of the eternal life that I've been given, okay? And I just one day just step over to the other side, okay? You know, there's the physical death and resurrection thing that happens, but it's basically just transferred to the next place, okay? So... Uh, those are spiritual conditions because the New Testament describes people born into this world as being spiritually dead in need of uh, life being imparted to them, okay? Ephesians 2.1 tells us that as Christians, he's made alive those who were dead in their trespasses and sins, right? So when you come to Jesus, there's this spiritual resurrection that happens. It's what, why we say born-again Christians, and it's, it's because God imparts life to your dead soul, your spirit that, that cannot grasp spiritual things because you're not alive, okay? And, it, and it's that spiritual resurrection that ensures the physical resurrection that's talked about in verse 29, what Jesus calls the resurrection of life. Um, now, I know you've heard the old saying that there's two things that are inevitable, right? Death and taxes, Okay. And then there's that deal of I heard a person say, well, that may be true that death and taxes are inevitable, uh, but death doesn't seem to get worse every time that Congress comes together, okay? Um, but taxes sure do, okay? Some of you are like, no, Trump's kicking it, you know? Yeah. Um, moving on. It's Congress, okay? It's, it's, anyway, we don't have time for politics, and I don't get into all that. Okay, um, that's a whole different issue. Um, and I'll just claim that we'll lose our tax-exempt status if I talk about it, so I don't have to talk about it. Yeah, okay. And, and that may be that taxes get worse or whatever it may be, but death can get worse also, okay? Death can be worse if after death, after physical death, you meet a holy God and you're unprepared to do so because you have no spiritual life in you, okay? That would be worse than just physically dying, okay? Everyone dies. It's in the text, okay? So that's, that's the first kind of part of this is there's a physical death that happens. Everybody dies. Number two is everyone is judged, okay? Great Christmas message, okay? The word judged comes up. Go back to verse 22. This is where... Jesus first introduces it in his, in his scripture here and what he's saying. John 5, 22, he says, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but it has entrusted all judgment to the Son. There again, last week when we had this whole Trinity deal. When you read that, you're now going, Father and Son, distinct persons, same God, okay? So as you read it, you start, these things start to come alive to you, okay? And you understand it better. The word judgment there is, is where we get this, it's this word crisis, but we get the word crisis from it, okay? Um, Jesus would, would say there's a crisis coming, okay? He's saying that's, that's what's happening. Now look at verse 27, same thought. He picks it up again and amplifies it. And he has given him, that is God the Father, has given him, God the Son, okay? And he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man, okay? So contrary to what most, most people think in the world, death does, does not end at all, and I know that's how people sort of live. Well, you know, you live and then you die, and after death there's that, there's nothing, and you just go to sleep, And but that isn't so, okay? After you die, there's a judgment, there's an evaluation, isn't that nice? You're like, man, I thought I graduated school. I got through college. Man, no more tests, okay? But there's an evaluation, and there's a verdict that is rendered by the God of this universe. You're like, that's a pretty serious exam, okay? Pretty serious evaluation. What's well, more like an evaluation more than an exam, okay? Uh, Hebrews 9, 27 is a typical verse you hear with this that says, it's appointed unto man once to die, and then after that, the judgment, right? So obviously, there's not an opportunity for you to get this right after you die, okay? You die, and then judgment, okay? 
It's not you die and then, oh, yeah, I better get this right now. Now I see, now I understand, and I have more chances to do something about it. Okay, that doesn't happen. Judgment is final once you physically die. Now, it's very likely that the doctrine of divine judgment is the most, one of the most, if not the most neglected teachings there is in, outside and inside the church. Outside the church, of course, nobody believes it and because it's all don't judge me and all that stuff. And I'm like, I'm not, okay? You can look at the Bible. That's what it says. And um, I'm here to love you, help you. Uh, we'll talk about that more in a minute. But this is what will happen in the Bible and what Jesus says, okay? So... So outside, nobody believes it. Inside the church, it's kind of ignored, right? It's, it's it, you know, if I talk about God the Father and how God is love and God is friend and he's our helper and, and man, he just, he loves us and he forgives us of our failures and our uh, failings and our sins, which is true if we repent and believe, Okay. But you see smiles on people's faces when you're preaching that and, man, forgiveness and hope and, and, and people light up. Yeah, but, but if you dare speak about final judgment and you will be judged, even in the church, there's this, there's this like <laughs> pullback of like, I don't know if I'd go with that. I don't know if I like that. Okay, we don't like it. Nobody likes it, okay? But if we talk about him as final judge who will evaluate every life and render an eternal verdict, and God is the judge to whom we are all accountable, it's a little different reaction, right? Okay, so here's the problem. If you don't think God is a judge, you have to throw away a good portion of the Bible because God's judgment is seen throughout the Bible. In fact, the word judgment occurs 190 times in Scripture uh, in all its forms. It's 190 times in, in Scripture um, judge, judgment, judging. Um, just the word judgment is 190 times. Then all of its forms is 450 times, okay? When applied to God and what he does, okay? Uh, sorry, I'm having trouble interpreting my own notes this morning because of the lack of sleep thing, okay? Um, now, it's interesting that at the final judgment, okay, Jesus is the one who will do the judging, okay? If you notice that, he says that twice. Um, in fact, it, it's not the only time in, in the Bible that it's brought up, but Jesus says it very plainly. He wants us to know that the, the Father himself will not be the eternal judge. He has committed all that to Jesus Christ. Well, why has he done that? If you look at verse 25, verse 25, Jesus speaks of his power to give life, and when he does, when he does so... When, he, when it says he has the power to give life, what is he called? The son of God, when he has the power to give life. Okay? When you read the scripture, notice the different, because you hear him referred to as the son of God and the son of man. Well, notice what it's talking about him doing when it uses one of those two references. Okay? He calls himself the son of God when he gives life. When he speaks about his power to give life, he refers to himself in that way. But look at verse 27. When he speaks of his power to judge, he refers to himself as what? Son of man. So isn't that interesting, okay? And it's as if, it's, if you look at this, Jesus is saying, because I as God became a man and went through that for you, I now have the right to judge you because I took all of that for you. Okay? Because I went through all of that. Eighty-three times the term Son of Man is used in all four Gospels, and it's usually used in reference to the cross, the place where God judged the sin of mankind. So perhaps it would be even better to say that Jesus wasn't in fact saying, because I am the one who was judged for all of you, I now get to judge you. Okay? If that makes sense. I'm the only one really qualified beyond qualifications to do that, okay? I took your punishment and the wrath of, of God do you, so I get to judge you, okay? Now, am I saying that as a believer, as myself, as a believer, one day I will stand before God in judgment, okay? Yes, I will, okay? But listen very carefully. The judgment that a believer faces is very different from the judgment a non-believer or unbeliever faces. 
In fact, I'll say it more, more plainly. Um, you will never stand before God being judged for your sins because you have trusted Jesus Christ that he has died for your sins on the cross in your place for your sins once for all. Okay? So if you have this picture that you're going to stand before God and, and you're standing there and God's there and he looks and goes, okay, Gabriel, roll the tape. Okay? And he's going to play back your whole life and everybody's going to watch and go, huh? Look, see what you did? Yep, look, see? See that? Oh, my God. Oh, you guys hide your eyes over there. Do you? You see that? Okay? It's not going to be that kind of judge we have in our minds, man, it, we're going to play back all this stuff, okay? And, and there's, there's all of it. Not going to happen. You, if you tr- your trust is in Jesus, and so because, because of that, if you're his, you are born again, you will not face God for your sin, Okay? Well, how do I know that? John 5, 24 said it very plainly. I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. So do you believe in him who was sent in Jesus Christ? If you do, then it says you have eternal life. Now watch this. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. You see that? Romans 8, 1 says it even more clearly, right? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, you get that? So believers will not be judged to determine their eternal salvation and all that stuff. It's not your your sin isn't part of the equation when Jesus has covered it. Okay, that's already done. But you and I will stand and will be judged to determine sort of our eternal status. Okay, we're going to be we're we're going to stand before God one day as believers in what Paul calls twice, once in Romans, once in Corinthians, the judgment seat of Christ. Ever heard that term, judgment seat of Christ? Right. Now that judgment will be a judgment where we are all evaluated by Christ, but has nothing to do with our sins and has everything to do with our service for Him. Okay, you get that? Our serving the Lord while we are on this earth. And we will stand before him and receive a reward or lack of reward for the way we served the Lord. If we did it faithfully, did it from our heart, um, did it not to be seen by people, we'll receive a reward. Okay? Um, and that judgment seat of Christ thing, it's really cool. And being, being a, uh, a has-been track and cross-country runner back in the day, this really identifies with me. That Greek word for the bema seat, okay, if you understand what that is, this, this judgment seat of Christ, it means a raised up step or a little platform, right? This raised step, this bema seat was in, placed in towns and it was a place where announcements to the towns were, were um, and things were announced, uh, it, it was, uh, speeches were given, laws were handed down to the people, and also in the Greek Olympic Games, you guys remember, you, you know why in the Olympics, you still see it today, the, the three-platform thing, and there's the person who wins the gold on the highest platform. That originates from all this, okay? It's, it's that thing of evaluating, and this is how everybody gets evaluated. They get put on that raised platform. And there's a judgment seat, okay? They would be given... You know, on that as a reward for however they perform. So we'll stand before God and be rewarded for what we've done. Now, I don't want you to think that heaven is some kind of spiritual competition, right? That we're trying to outdo each other. I had a couple of friends, a couple guys that were my influence back in the day when I became a Christian, a big part of the reason why. And they would always run around going, You're not going to outserve me. No, I'm going to do that. You're not going to outserve me. And I just remember that attitude of, it was just joke in a joking manner, but I loved it. Um, but it was the thing of, man, we just, we just got to serve and serve and serve, okay? But it's not going to be a thing of me and David are going to be standing there in heaven, and, and David's going to be like, oh, would you see this? I did this and did this. And I'm going to go, well, that's, that's pretty good, David. Hey, but did you see what I did? Look at this, okay? That's humility all out the window, okay? It's not, well, look what I just did. It's not going to be like that. But you will individually, and I will be individually, 
rewarded for what we did and how we did it in our service to Christ. So here's how it works. When you die, you're going to go to heaven, right? If you're a believer, if you're in Christ, okay? But listen to this part, okay? Until you go there, there's a job that God wants you to do on this earth, okay? It's not just, man, I walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, I'm good, waiting on my trip to heaven. Got my ticket to ride and I'm good, okay? That's, that's not it, okay? There's a job on this earth God wants you to do. Find out what it is and do it. Now, I'm not talking about a vocation per se, okay? I'm talking about service to his kingdom, okay? As one person said, heaven will be for enjoyment, but this is a time for employment. Serve him. That's the judgment we will face. Not a judgment for our sins. That's taken to the cross, but for our service. So let's quick let's let's quickly look at heaven, which is the most clearly seen in the book of Revelations. And so many people freak out over this book. Okay, um, hypersensitive over its scenes and all that end time stuff, and as though we can't talk about it and have differing views on uh, end times stuff. That's it's all secondary stuff. It's not essential to the gospel, and and we can have differing views, and it's okay. Um, but these heavenly scenes are something we can all agree with and go, that's wonderful. I, I'm look, we're all looking forward to that for sure, okay? Hopefully, if you're a Christian, you're saying that. If not, you're going to have some issues, okay? Um, but these heavenly scenes are what should really dominate our study and understanding these, in this uh, because it's about Jesus ruling and reigning as king over heaven and earth. And it's wonderful, Okay? And we shouldn't be afraid of what's going to happen on the earth and what's going to happen in the future if we're his, providing we understand what this all means as far as him ruling and reigning and we're his. And we're co-heirs with Christ, and so what do we got to worry about, right? Okay? Now, I love this. This is one of my favorite images of Scripture. It shows Jesus seated on a throne, okay, and... and uh, Ruling and reigning over heaven and earth, earth over all creation, over all created things and beings. Remember, Jesus isn't one of those. He was there from the beginning. Um, the throne appears 45 times in the book of Revelations. And it, it, Revelation, it appears in uh, 17 of the 22 chapters. Okay? So the throne is the centerpiece of Revelation, right? Okay? And who's seated on the throne? Jesus. Okay? What proceeds from the throne? All truth, okay? All judgment. What per, what proceeds to the throne? Worship, praise, okay? All glory, all adoration. Jesus is revealed throughout Revelation as a king, okay? And so the the book opens up in in the revelation or the unveiling, okay? Revelation 1.1 of Jesus Christ is what it says. This, is, this is, book is about Jesus, okay? The book isn't primarily about the rapture or about, you know, the mark of the beast or getting a code put on your forehead or a little chip put in your wrist and, man, Walmart's going to be tracking you and uh, you'll become a Walmartian, okay? So it's, it's not any of that stuff. It's not primarily about being those, about those things. It's about Jesus Christ as the king of kings, ruling over heaven and earth, all of creation. That's what it's about. Revelation's about Jesus. And the thread throughout the book, the theme is about the worship of Jesus Christ. And that's really the Bible. Okay, Revelation 4, 10 11. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay down their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things... And by, he created all things, and who's on the throne? Jesus, okay? And by your will, they were created and have their being, okay? And the first thing we see in heaven is these spiritual leaders leading the people in what? Worship of Jesus, worshiping Jesus. And you go on chapter 5, and it builds, and the creatures and the angels join, and it's this growing chorus. And by the end of the book, billions of people from every tongue, tribe, nation, language, and the angels and the creatures around the throne, who's on it? Jesus the King. And it's a kickoff party like no other for eternity. Okay? And, and in 19, we get to sit down and have a meal with Jesus called the 
the marriage supper of the Lamb, okay? Us served by Him. He sings over us. We get the, I'm imagining that's going to be the best meal ever, okay? Every time I eat something here on earth and I go, oh, man, that's good, I'm like, and that's a reject from heaven. Sinners made this. Can you imagine, okay, what, what the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to be like? Sorry about your donuts and barbecue and all that stuff you do. It's good, okay, but I'm just going, man, he's going to kill, it's just going to be awesome, okay? So for some of you, your picture of all this is just way too small. Your picture of Jesus is just way too small. You see him as this humble, marginalized, like Galilean, little meek, hippie peasant, you know, with oily hair, and he's walking around in sandals and crying a whole lot, okay? Giving out these wise statements like Confucius and uh, hugging sheep or something. It's like, yeah, you know, that's my Jesus, okay? Um, and I'll submit to you, and I understand, Jesus has a lot of humility, okay? Very humble. Uh, it's worth celebrating Christmas. But remember that baby in that manger, he, he died, rose in our place for our sins, and ascended back to heaven. Today he's seated at a throne, okay? And were you able to see Jesus today, you wouldn't see that sheep hugger, Okay? You would see a king of kings, a lord of lords, the, the warrior king, okay? You would see the same Jesus Isaiah saw in Isaiah 6, and he says, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and all around him were angels crying out day and night, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth are full of his glory. Jesus will never take a beating again. Okay, that was a one-shot deal for salvation. It won't happen again. Okay, this is not an ongoing job for Jesus to take a beating. He's warrior king, and I'm not saying that is how the church should be. Okay, how it's not how we should be today. That's not the church. I'm not arguing for arguing for war, and we go out and kill people with it, you know with these verses and and just just fight people and argue people to death and condemn them, okay? We're to live like Jesus did during his first coming, okay? Humbly, loving, simple, serving, turn the other cheek, bless those who harm us and persecute us, pray for our enemies. That's how we live, okay? I'm not preaching for a militant church, even though I'm aware of many of you and how many ARs, 15s there are in this church, and I've told you guys one more, you guys buy one of those things, the ATF's going to come in on me like David Koresh, okay? So we need to just calm down a little bit, okay? This is East Tennessee, I understand. We like our guns, okay? Uh, it's a little humor, okay? Northern people are getting tense, okay? It's like, really? Okay? It, it's okay. They know how to use them. It's safe, Okay? They're just for hunting. It's sports stuff, right? Okay. Um, that's very non-PC. I'm getting in dangerous territory. I'm tired. Sorry. Okay. Let's carry on. Um, I, I'm preaching for a church that looks like Jesus during the first coming, okay? But I'm telling you that upon his second coming, he will not be humble, marginalized peasant guy, okay, that took a beating. He will come as king of kings and put an end to all other kings and kingdoms and those opposed to him. Okay, there's a coming, there's coming a day of peace and justice, okay? And some go, no, 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 J Jesus shouldn't do that. He, he should just bring peace. Okay, he brings peace, but he does it by crushing his enemies. Okay, that's how it's going to work, okay? Many of you believe falsely that Satan rules over hell and Jesus rules over heaven. But no, Jesus' kingdom is overall. Everything, overall. Now, let's flip the coin, okay? Try to bring this thing down to, a, to an end, okay? Hopefully. Um, if you're not a Christian, and I won't spend as much time on this, but then, because the, I, I want you to fall in love with Jesus and want to be with Jesus, not just scare you into, oh, I'm afraid of going to hell, although hopefully that gets your attention, and you go, wow, how much Jesus loves me because of what he did for me, for me not have to do that, okay? 
But if you're not a Christian, then verse 24 doesn't apply to you because you don't believe in him who was sent by the Father. Okay, so that just doesn't, so there's no, you, you won't go from death into life. If you persist in your belief system as an unbeliever, you'll go from death to death to death. Okay, you go from being spiritually dead, everybody's born that way, to being physically dead, okay, to a final phase of eternal death, okay, hell. Not death to life, but death to death, okay? And, and all this teaching, even through the Old Testament and Isaiah, all this language is about, it's a place where the worm will never die and it's forever burning and stench is unbelievable. That's hell. And the reason it is that way is because every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. It's from Him. His presence is the most wonderful thing. And, and hell is just this place where Jesus goes, okay, you don't want me? You keep saying no to me? Okay, so I'll just remove my goodness from you, and that's hell, okay? And you can have exactly what you're asking for, okay? And, and that's, it, it's not a great place. It's because his goodness is removed, okay? For some of you who don't know Jesus, that ends for you in hell. And if you've lived a decent life, hell will be terrible. And depending upon what you've done, it may be worse for some than others, Okay? Some people say that sending people to hell makes God intolerant, unloving, and judgmental. But what would you rather him do? Okay, think about this, because the Bible says here's a separation between people, um, adulterers, murderers, liars. These kind of people will not inherit the kingdom of God. So were some of you, but you've been changed by the Holy Spirit, and you're no longer that way. Okay, so if people aren't changed by the Holy Spirit and they're still rapists and murderers and, and people like that, do, do you want to send them to hang out in heaven with your kids? No, we've got to have this place where we kind of keep them together and let, you know, just do that, okay? I mean, that's what makes sense. That's a loving God that says, okay, these people that don't want to have peace and love and joy and all this stuff, okay, you've got to be down here because all these people, they, we're going to do this. Okay? Just do that forever. So everyone dies, everyone will be judged, and finally everyone is resurrected or raised, okay? Non-believers, believers are raised. This is the real sobering part of all this. So verse 28 and 29 says, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice come out, and those who have done what is good will rise to life, to live, resurrection to life, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned, to resurrection of condemnation. Everyone rises. Someone, some people mistakenly believe because of this verse um, and the, the word time in this verse that there's coming a time. Some versions say for the hour is coming, um, that there will be one general resurrection that will happen at exactly the same time. Um, there again, this gets into all that end times theology stuff. We can just skip all that. Um, it depends on if you believe in the, the thousand-year reign and ones before and ones after and all that stuff. And some of you are like, dude, quit confusing me. Just tell me what you're trying to say and move on, okay? But in, let's just skip all of that, okay? Um, but, but I believe it's going to happen at two separate times. Now, to talk about the resurrection for a believer, you have to get pretty excited, okay? If I'm a believer then uh, I get excited about this, okay? Because you, you need a physical, physically resurrected body um, for heaven, for what's coming, for new heaven and new earth, okay? Um, and you're like, well, why do we need that, right? And I'm like, well, I know how I feel, and I know how we all look, Okay? And I'm not trying to be mean or anything, but like I said, we're not getting better. I mean, have you, have you looked in the mirror lately? We're not going in the right direction, okay? Except for you trim and healthy mama people, okay? That's my wife's one of those, okay? Okay, you're, you guys are doing great, okay? You're beating sin, okay? Um, that's a joke. Come on, people. Stay with me, okay? Sort of. Um, but we're going to... we're. We're going from whatever we are um, to much, much worse here in this cursed earth in the body that we're in, okay? We're slowing down. We're decaying. Okay, everything's that way. We're going to get a resurrected body. People say, well, what will it look like, okay? 
You get asked that a lot. Well, what's this new body going to look like? Well, the new model will just be a lot better. Okay, that's all I can tell you. It's what Jesus calls in verse 29, resurrection to life. Um, and the simple, well, what do I need that for? Well, the, the, the simple answer is to reverse the effects of original sin we see in our daily lives and our physical bodies. Okay? I, I, this, is, this is just Marty's thinking, okay? I think I'll look like what I would look like without all these wrinkles and stuff, and I'll be a mature adult without, without all the effect, effects of sin that's brought about by this world, okay? One of those being gravity, okay? That just, uh, some of that goes away. I mean, it just, it's, it's what I would look like without the effects of sin, okay? Um, and number two reason it, that, that we need this, okay, one, ours aren't so good now, is the future environment will probably demand it, okay, of new heaven and new earth. There's going to be a physically renewed earth, and the Bible teaches that, that, that we're going to need a new body for, new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, and it's eternal, okay? And, and people always ask, can I go swim? am I going to get to go swimming? Can I climb trees in heaven? Can we play ball in heaven? Ladies, can we, are we going to get to have shoes in heaven? Okay, it's, it's not a sin to go swimming. It's not a sin to play ball. It's not a sin to climb a tree. It's not a sin to wear shoes unless you're coveting the other lady's shoes, okay? Um, it, 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 you know, it just won't be sin, okay? Heaven will, is a physical life on a new earth with a new resurrected glorified body with everything that we enjoy except sin, okay? New heaven, new earth come together. Creation and God is with us forever, and you're just going to love heaven. There will be no disappointment in heaven. Okay, you're not going to get there and go, ah, is this it? I think I'm going to go back to Dollywood. Okay, it's not going to, it's not going to, you're not going to feel that way at all. Okay, that will require not this body, but an eternal body. So because of that, there will be a re- resurrection of life. But notice the last phase. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned, a resurrection of condemnation. I know it says good and evil. The only way you can do anything good, even our own goodness, is as filthy rags, is because Jesus does that through us. God does it through us, okay? And you have to have the Holy Spirit to be able to do that, so you have to be born again. That's what all that means, okay? Now, and so this last one, resurrection uh, to condemnation, is for the unbeliever. In Revelation, we see how this plays out, and it's, it's probably the most sobering scene in the Bible. It's, it's a courtroom scene, but it's very different from a human courtroom um, you just Revelation 20, you have a judge, right? That's Christ, and according to, to Jesus, there's a judge but no jury. He's the judge and the jury. There's a sentence but no appeal. You don't get any of that. There's punishment but no escape, okay? It's a very, very sad scene, okay? Look in t- Revelation 20, verse 4, starting there. Write it down, look at it later, be up here right now. I saw thrones in which were, stated, were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received the mark on his forehead from Walmart. I'm just kidding, okay? And their foreheads on, on their foreheads or on their hands, okay? They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended if you go with that end times thinking. Okay, this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. Get that? Okay, now go down to verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Okay, Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So the Bible teaches two events, resurrection for believers, righteous dead, resurrection to life, and then the resurrection of unbelievers, the unrighteous dead, resurrection, condemnation, okay? Keeping up with this? I'm moving really fast. I'm sorry. Um, But here's a question, and I'll just answer it, okay, so it makes all this simpler, okay? And you probably know the answer anyway. Why do unbelievers need a physical body? Okay, we talked about we, we need a physical body for heaven, okay? It's very similar, actually. 
with a little twist, which is not good, okay? Just as believers require a physically resurrected body to enjoy all of the eternal bliss of heaven and the the pleasures of that and enjoying swimming, basketball, shoes, all that, whatever. Um, Just go with that for now, okay? Um, To enjoy that, you need a new physical resurrected body. So those who are resurrected to condemnation will need a physical resurrected body to endure all of the punishment of the future. Do you understand that? It's a very sad and sobering thought, okay? So listen, this is, this is what it all boils down to, and it's all about Jesus and the gospel is what it comes back to. Here's the big point that I want us to walk away with this morning as a church together, okay? This is why churches exist and we preach the gospel is because of this information. That's what it leads us all to, regardless of your end times theology and all that stuff, that we can secondary stuff, we can all agree on the gospel, the fact that it isn't good for unbelievers, it's awesome for believers, so therefore we agree on the gospel and the church just needs to work together to share the gospel with people. Okay? That's why missionaries go overseas. It's why. It's why we go to Honduras. It's why we plant in churches there, to get the message of Jesus Christ out so that those people who choose him will enjoy the resurrection of life. That's why. Okay? And so hopefully you'll do that with me. There's a bunch more stuff I could talk about, but in Genesis 1-1, remember we read, in the beginning, God. And in the end we read, the Lord Jesus is that God. And the final word of the Bible is grace to you. It's grace, unmerited favor, undeserved love. You and I need to come to Jesus. We need him so that we get resurrection to life. There's some people here that just need to kind of walk, come back to Jesus. You've just kind of sidestepped some things and you're just not on the path and you need to get back into that preservation stage, okay, and stay on track. And as we wait to see him face to face, you need to understand that we are citizens of a kingdom and we're enjoying eternal life already, the Holy Spirit in us. And we get to do the things that God, God God-sized things that he has put forth for us to do. He is our king and how we live our life is for his glory. It's an act of worship back to him on the throne. Okay? So maybe this is the first Christmas you'll spend... As, an etern- as a citizen of his eternal kingdom. Maybe that's you this morning. You go, well, well how, do I, how does that reborn thing again, what does that work? Born in our sin. I'm Lord of my own life. I don't need anybody. Don't anybody telling me what to do. Lord of my own life. And I see Jesus and I realize, I hear his word and I'm like, what is that? And I feel him drawing me, pulling pulling me. There's this tapping on my shoulder. There's that feeling in your chest that you're going, God, is that you? Are you real? Is that really? This is, this is, you're calling me to yourself. You're calling me out. And, and you just turn from you and your sin and yourself. And you just turn to Jesus and surrender to him. Repent of your sin. God, I'm sorry for who I have been and what is, what my life has been about. My sin, I don't want to do that anymore. Forgive me. Thanks you, thank you for dying on the cross in my place for my sin. I'm not Lord of my life anymore. You're Lord of my life. I'm following you. And so I'm just turning to you. And I just want to just, just fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to walk with you every day. And may I just be a part of this kingdom, this church right now that goes out and tells people about this great and wonderful news about Jesus Christ. So let's pray. And if that's you, maybe... You'll take that step this morning. With heads bowed and eyes closed, it's just a thing of saying, if that's you, you're one of those people that just need to surrender your life this morning, would you just do that right now? I've described it. It's a conversation between you and God. He wants us to celebrate it later, but right now it's something only God can do for you. I can't do it for you. You just surrender your life to him. Turn to him. Father, I thank you for those that right now may be just turning to you for the 
first time and just surrendering that this Christmas would be different, that they would celebrate you coming to this earth, that you being born in a new way, in, a, in an exciting way that they've never experienced before. That they would be so excited about the new life they have in you. And Father, I pray for the rest of us. We'd not get caught up in trivial things, but we would understand who you really are and just have a passion for sharing you with other people. Father, thank you for everybody gathered here and so many people's dedication to the vision and mission of this church that you've given us. That it is all about your son, Jesus. So as Christmas rolls around, it's, it's always our prayer. We can all sit in here and go, yeah, I need more Jesus this year than I had last year because I just got caught up in too much commercialized Christmas. We, we all have those thoughts. Father, maybe this year we'd be more intentional about it and just back up and say, man, Jesus really is enough. Father, we would see you as enough. Thank you, Father, for loving us so much, being so patient with us. Your kindness and mercy are incredible, and we are so glad that we don't just serve a God who is that part of things, but one that is a warrior king, one that is ruling and reigning, one that is all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present. Thank you for being with us. May we follow you wherever you lead us. In Jesus' name.